We begin our look at the Defenders in Defenders Masterworks, Volume 1, and conclude our look at Carol Danvers' run as Miss Marvel in Miss Marvel, Volume 9, Best You Can Be, straight ahead. Welcome to the Classy Comics Podcast, where we search for the best comics in the universe. From Boise, Idaho, here is your host, Adam Graham. The Defenders actually began with a bit of a backdoor pilot uh, in uh, issue of the Submariner comic, which was written by Roy Thomas. And essentially... Namor has some serious concerns about a United Nations weather control station. And he sees the Hulk rampaging in a Latin American country. And he would like the Hulk's help, uh, but doesn't know how he'd be able to get him on board, since the Hulk is not easy to reason with. However, Namor spots the Silver Surfer flying overhead and decides to try and make contact with him. As you would normally expect in this first encounter situation, they get into a bit of a fight. Uh, however, uh, Namor's able to get through to him. And they decide to go and get the Hulk together flying on Namor's board. Namor flies down to the Hulk who attacks him. However, the Hulk is being attacked by this uh, Latin American country's military. And the three come together to fight off the military, which is kind of firing at all of them. And they incidentally free the country, but are able to get the Hulk on board for the mission. And uh, so they go ahead and attack the uh, UN base, where these weather control experiments are going on, and are able to drive off all of the UN personnel and allow Atlantean scientists to get in and examine the weather control experiments to make sure that they're safe. The UN calls the Avengers for backup. The Avengers were on a standby in case anything went wrong, but since the odds of that weren't considered all that great, part of the Avengers decided to go off and record like a public service announcement commercial. Captain America is in charge of the Avengers as the chairman, and he makes the decision that the three strongest Avengers, uh, Thor, Iron Man, and Goliath, who at this point is Clint Barton, who's best known as uh, Hawkeye, and uh, they're there to act as standby. Now, one of the odd things is that they didn't actually fly down there to observe this, uh, because it would take time if the experiment ran into trouble for them to get there from the Avengers headquarters in New York, as it indeed does. However, when they get notice of what's going on, they fly out at ridiculous speeds on a Quinjet, and you have an epic battle between the three strong Avengers and uh, the three... Uh, uh, Titans, as uh, the Submariner comic called them. The fight goes on just long enough for the Atlantean scientists to examine the facility and come up with findings that it's not actually a safe experiment, and thus they convince the UN to back off 
and the three titans go their separate ways. Uh, but this goes ahead and sets off the beginnings of the Defenders. The Defenders didn't actually get their uh, own magazine right away. Instead, they appeared in a magazine called Marvel Feature and th- for those first three issues. In a way, this is Marvel borrowing from DC because DC uh, did a magazine called Showcase Presents and they also used Brave and the Bold to try out potential uh, comic series. And so for the first three issues of Marvel Feature, they're trying out the Defenders. In the first issue of Marvel Feature, Yandroth, who's an old foe of Doctor Strange, summons him psychically to his deathbed. Yandroth is a scientist who combines science and the mystic arts, and he produced Omegatron a doomsday device that will destroy the world as soon as he is dead. Because if he doesn't get to enjoy life anymore, why should anyone else? Strange is going to need help to both locate and defeat the Omegatron. And he encounters uh, Namor. Namor initially has no interest in uh, joining the quest because he's off on his own personal quest and doesn't want to get distracted by that. But he quickly figures out that if atomic fire destroys the entire world, that would render his efforts to find his dad a bit moot. So he agrees to join. The Silver Surfer is actually unavailable, and it's, and it's, uh, in the story, it's because of something going on with the Surfer in universe. In reality, it's because Stan Lee had a very strong attachment to the Surfer and really wanted to write any story the Surfer appeared in. He would compromise uh, when the main uh, series would be published and Steve Englehart asked and got permission to use the Surfer as an occasional guest star. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's why the Surfer wasn't in this and Strange kind of takes the Silver Surfer's place. However, the Hulk is available and is nearby, so uh, Strange travels to the Hulk in his astral form to kind of taunt him to come there, and they get him over there, and they're able to convince him that this is worth uh, fighting for. They're able to locate the Omegatron in a lighthouse, and Namor and the Hulk begin to attack it. However, Strange learns that Yandroth had actually planned on this and that the only way his world destruction uh, engine would be uh, powered up would be if it got the energy of the both the Hulk and Namor attacking it. So Strange uh, flies in to intervene and stops the Hulk and Namor before they unintentionally destroy the world. And in order to stop the Omegatron from reaching zero, Strange cast a time suspension spell. And each moment remaining on the Omegatron's countdown would be an era. So the Earth would have centuries or even eons before the Omegatron went off destroying it. And Strange is actually content to leave it at that. That will be somebody else's problem. In Marvel feature number two, uh, disciples of Dormammu kidnap Strange 
and he summons the Hulk and Namor telepathically. Uh, they have to save the world uh, from the coming of Dormammu, which would come through sacrificing Stephen Strange. This story is interesting because it does feature a Roy Thomas cameo. You know, Stan Lee made his cameos in the movies, but Roy Thomas made a few in the comics, and uh, this one is featured in there. In issue three, a space capsule crashes into the sea and is taken uh, hold of by an octopus who Namor has to come down and punch. And Namor rescues the space capsule and brings it to a Navy ship and explains on the ship that he saved it because a man was inside and he didn't like that he had to assault a sea creature. And some of the sailors say, yeah, we don't care what you don't like. And they decide just to, for no good reason, run up on an assault Namor right after he came out of the ocean. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's just a little silly. You don't run up on the son of Atlantis after he's just been in the water. However, the fight is halted, and the astronauts actually make a very weird decision. They decide that they are leaving the space program so that they can start a children's TV uh, program that's a comedy and features a white, abominable snowman-type character. The program actually is uh, brainwashing kids. General Ross is in the story, and he calls it not only poppycock, but also balderdash. So very strong language for a 1970s comic. Jim Wilson, a teenager, is there with Ross, and he goes off to get Doctor Strange and reports what's going on. Strange decides to use his magic powers to make himself look like the Hulk in order to uh, be better able to infiltrate the TV program. Because Jim told Strange that even though he wasn't fully influenced by the TV show, there was part of him that thought like he should follow the white abominable snowman type creature to his planet and never ever return to Earth. And indeed, that is the alien's plan to uh, brainwash the children of Earth so that they will travel to the television studio, get on their spaceship, and never ever return to Earth again. The creature is revealed to be Zemnu, and he fights with Doctor Strange and about overcomes him. However, Strange summons Namor, and the Hulk also comes along just as uh, Bruce Banner hulked out after seeing uh, a fake Hulk on television. And they're able to fight off Zemnu and save the children of Earth. However, the military immediately turns on the Hulk, and Namor tells Doctor Strange to never bother calling again. And in a way, this is set up so if they decided not to do a full series, they could just leave the Defenders here. But of course, there was a full series that started off with Defenders number one with the writer now being Steve Englehart, as Roy Thomas had such a full plate that he couldn't pursue the uh, series. Defenders number one opens with Namor crashing to the sky uh, near the Incredible Hulk. 
and being very severely injured. So despite his problems, the Hulk goes off to find Doctor Strange to help. Strange shows up and finds Namor in a really bad way. Worse yet, he's had a barrier placed around him by a character named Necrodamus, who Doctor Strange has fought before and plans to sacrifice Namor. And Doctor Strange and the Hulk have to save Namor. The important part of this story, though, is that in the course of it, Doctor Strange has to use a time stoppage spell, which weakens the previous uh, spell that he put back in uh, Marvel feature number one. Defenders number one ends with Namor revealing that he was put in this position and knocked from the sky by none other than the Silver Surfer. So in Defenders number two, they search for the Silver Surfer. And as soon as they find them, Namor has a calm, reasoned conversation asking the Surfer what happened. No, 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 no. Because it's Namor, he immediately attacks the Silver Surfer. And uh, the Silver Surfer is able to get away, but they trace him to a mountain uh, peak where he's been spending time with uh, mountain monkeys and trying to teach them the ways of peace and uh, tolerance and such. However, it turns out that the mountain monkeys are actually warrior wizards, and so they have to be fought. Issue number three of the Defenders finds Doctor Strange trying to help the Silver Surfer get back to Zen Law. When the Surfer abandoned Galactus, Galactus decided to strand him on Earth and place a barrier which would stop the Silver Surfer from leaving Earth. Strange's plan to get around that is to take the Surfer to another dimension and there the surfer could go ahead and leave Earth and be off the planet. And so they go into this other dimensional place where they run into uh, Barbara. Barbara was a woman who sacrificed her life to save Doctor Strange. And so they do battle in this dimension to save her from the Nameless One. It turns out, though, that Barbara had actually been seduced by the Nameless One into becoming his mate. However, they fought an epic battle to get out, and uh, they do manage to escape, only to find that the efforts to get around the dimensional barrier were a bust and essentially pointless because they assumed that the same physical laws that applied on Earth in their dimension would uh, apply in this interdimensional place. So the surfer is still stuck and flies off in a huff. Issue 4 is called The New Defender, and it takes place right after the events of Issue 3. Uh, which is a problem, because Namor's design was changed to give him an earring. And I think that that makes sense for a, a man of the sea. However, because this story is a two-parter, and they change it in the middle of the two-parter, I can only conclude that Namor went to an interdimensional Claire's to get his ear pierced in between stories. However, in... The story, the Hulk is concerned about Barbara, 
who has been rescued from the dimension, but is in a really bad way. And Hulk blames Doctor Strange and decides to go bounding off to a nearby castle. Uh, and uh, Strange and Namor follow because they figure that the Hulk might accidentally injure her. However, they find themselves in a castle with an evil queen and a mighty wizard. Strange's powers are neutralized and Namor is overcome and we find out that the Hulk had turned back into Bruce Banner. And they're locked in a cell and across from them is the Enchantress and the Black Knight. The Black Knight was a villain turned hero in the Marvel Universe and he had gotten mixed up with the Enchantress, who was a pretty much a straight-up villain. And she convinced him to go and help with this fight. However, the evil queen, Casalina, who also uh, employed her fellow Asgardian and former cohort, the Executioner, uh, managed to capture them both, and they'd been held captive for weeks. Unfortunately, there doesn't appear to be a way out. Strange's uh, magic powers have been neutralized. Namor is out of water, and the Hulk has been turned into Bruce Banner. However, the Enchantress has the idea that she can transform Barbara into Valkyrie. Namor objects to this strenuously, pointing out that in her current condition, she cannot possibly consent. And this is a great point by Namor, but the Enchantress provides her rebuttal, which is essentially, yeah, you're locked in, you can't do anything to stop me, so there. So she changes uh, Barbara into Valkyrie, and Valkyrie just busts up the place and allows everyone to escape, and uh, they're able to overcome the evil queen and also the executioner. The enchantress uh, wants uh, to team back up with the executioner. However, the black knight is furious and wants to fight the executioner. However, the enchantress first wants to give him a kiss in respect for his willingness to fight, and that in turn transforms him into stone. Unfortunately, that's the sort of thing that happens when you mess around with the Enchantress. The Enchantress and the Executioner make their escape, and Valkyrie wants to help out the Black Knight and hopes that maybe because she was created by the power of the Enchantress, that maybe she has the same power and can reverse what the Enchantress did with a kiss. But she kisses the stone version of the Black Knight, and it's no good. So she actually takes possession of the Black Knight's horse, Aragorn, and they escape, and Strange seals up the castle. And Valkyrie is like, I don't really have a lot of memories, and I'm alone in this world, but hey, I can join you defenders. And Namor says, hold on a second. We don't have members of the Defenders. And Doctor Strange says, and with all due respect, we are three of the most powerful beings on Earth. What do we need with you? That's kind of hard to say respectfully, but I'm sure Strange made the best effort he could. Issue 5 is World Without End. 
And Valkyrie is in a really difficult spot as the issue starts, feeling uh, quite alone and isolated, not really having any memories of Barbara, and just in a really difficult space. She's staying with Doctor Strange, and she wants to go and find Namor and the Hulk, and uh, Doctor Strange gives her two stones, that will lead her, one to Namor, one to the Hulk. And she goes and sees Namor, and uh, Namor informs her that he uh, desires no human contact other than with his cousin, Namorita. And Valkyrie just chews him out, because it's like, yeah, you don't desire it, but what if you've never have it? That's the situation that she's in. But suddenly, Namor disappears, and uh, Namorita comes along with her, and they go to check on the Hulk, and he disappears before their eyes, too. And uh, it turns out that both were taken by Omegatron, uh, whose countdown had been restarted back in issue one when Strange used a time-related spell to help out Namor. Valkyrie and Namorita arrive at the uh, lighthouse, and Omegatron greets them with a good morning. He may be a homicidal, magical computer program for world destruction, but let it be clear, he is not impolite. He explains that uh, the uh, countdown got restarted, and it's been speeding up, so now there are three milliseconds on the clock, but that only uh, leaves six minutes for the world to survive. And Omegatron has both Namor and the Hulk under his spell. And there is five duplicates of both of them to fight. But Valkyrie makes the deduction that the illusion is designed to f- uh, fool human eyes. And that her horse will be able to see through it. I'm tempted to call that horse sense, but it's somewhat of an odd proposition. I don't know if that works scientifically, but then again, Aragorn's a flying horse, so, uh, magical, so maybe that's why he sees through it. But anyway, he does, and we're reduced down to the one Hulk and the one Namor, which are still a challenge to uh, get unhypnotized. And by then, the Omegatron does emerge, however, they're able to defeat him before he says his creator's name, which was what was required to uh, destroy the world. And thus, the world was saved. And I was kind of glad about that. When I first read the story in Marvel Feature Number 1, I wondered if that was just a thing that had been left in place to this day with nobody bothering to follow up on. But I'm glad that that was taken care of. The one thing that I will say is they never gave a good explanation why Omegatron kidnapped Namor and the Hulk uh, prior to blowing up, because nobody was aware of what was going on, and he could have blown up in peace. And yeah, that part was never explained, but uh, that's probably the only real big flaw in the story. It ends with Valkyrie wanting to join the Defenders again, and Hulk just objecting out of hand. 
that after the problems he had with the Avengers, he's not joining another group, and he thinks that Valkyrie is crazy. Uh, but uh, when he bounds away, Namor comforts him and says, you know, that's just the Hulk, and you really couldn't expect anything else from him. But that uh, this particular incident has caused Namor to reevaluate because she demonstrated uh, bravery and an analytical mind, and he asked to uh, accompany her back to New York. So I'll get into that issue. Uh, issue six is Dreams of Death, and uh, the Silver Surfer actually shows up to apologize for the way he flew off at the end of issue three, and uh, he arrives in time to help uh, Doctor Strange and the gang defeat a sorcerer named Cyrus Black. And... Uh, he uh, meets up with Valkyrie and he sympathizes with her because he uh, he understands just the sudden jolt of a new identity, uh, having gone from Norn Rad to being the Silver Surfer with memories being taken away. And he said he was going to go on a trip around the globe at, and... Uh, ask Valkyrie if she'd like to come and Namor asked if he could come as well because he'd been uh, providing her some tips and instructions and the surfer says uh, that when he's in the mood for the company it's the more the merrier so they went off on a trip around the world we don't actually see because apparently it was just you know a good time uh, there is some more activity in this book by Cyrus Black, who does uh, gain a effective uh, rejoiner to the Defenders, and they have to fight him off. I won't go into all of that. It was a fair enough story, but I did really like these uh, characters in this book, and I was surprised that I enjoyed the Defenders as much as I did. Because uh, reading some people describe it, it's uh, almost as if uh, the Defenders are practically anti-heroes, and they're not. They're heroes, all right. They're just heroes who are not used to working with people, and they don't like the stricture of the Avengers and related organizations, but try to help each other out and really do form some uh, nice friendships. There's a lot of personality conflicts, and that actually, I think, makes the book fun. I mean, you've got probably more... Uh, Per, uh, personalities and egos on this non-team uh, than you have on the uh, 1977 Yankees. The art is great throughout. Sal Buscema did the art on the majority of these, and the results are really good. I, I think he did a great job on the battle scenes and on all of these characters. The writing is fun. There are a few things that I riffed on, but they're good stories, and even though there are some uh, magical villains involved, it's not like a lot of Doctor Strange uh, team-ups where it feels like, you know, there's nothing for our main heroes to do. They all get their moments to shine, and there are just some great action sequences that I love. If there were one big problem with the Defenders, it would be that their uh, villains are all pretty much D-list. 
Uh, though, of course, as this book illustrates, even a D-list villain can threaten the world. Uh, though I should say, Dormanu, uh, to the extent that he was behind that one thing back in uh, Marvel feature number two, is an exception to that. But overall, this is a fun book. I'm definitely going to check out at least volume two. Um, I've heard that some of the later volumes really become uh, things where it should just be Doctor Strange uh, fighting, like when uh, Steve Gerber is uh, working on the book. But I would not mind reading even more Defenders later on. It's just a fun uh, group, non-team effort with just some very fun characters who just wouldn't fit on a normal teams. So I'll give this book a rating a classy. Now we turn to Miss Marvel Volume 9, Best You Can Be. The book collects issues 47 through 50 of the late 2000s Miss Marvel series. In issue 47, we get a little bit of action and then Carol goes ahead and honors her promised date with Spider-Man a.k.a. Peter Parker. Anyway, Carol is on her date with Peter, and Peter is essentially a total spaz. Even from the beginning, Peter Parker really did have a bit of awkwardness uh, about him that was enduring. But I I do think, uh, I've heard it often said that The post One More Day Peter Parker is really a loser, and this issue really does uh, bring that home. It's just kind of uh, awkward, you know, not funny, just really, really awkward and out of character. So, uh, this, I've stayed away from most post One More Day stuff, and this was just not a. a great read. The date is broken up by uh, Norman Osborne's evil group, Hammer. And this would be the first time that I'm actually glad that an evil group broke something up. Though Carol gets away from them. Weirdly enough, and for seemingly no reason, this particular issue had three separate pencilers on it, which gives the art a really inconsistent feel. Now, there are some cases where it makes sense, like if you're doing a jumbo issue uh, where you, it makes, you know, you bring in multiple artists. But this is a normal sized issue. It's not a special anniversary or anything. So, I don't get what's with the multiple pencilers. In issue 48, we get back to something that had kind of been put aside with the death of Miss Marvel storyline, and that is their stuff going on at the Church of Hala. And apparently, it looks like Captain Marvel is back and killing people. And uh, there's an AI, The Essential, who is introduced to Carol by Rick Mason. And she says that uh, Mystique is behind this and that gives a key to someone in Idaho who is actually uh, Mystique's agent. So Carol flies out to Idaho and confronts this guy with a beard and thinks that he might even be Mystique. 
However, even though he just looks like a regular uh, middle-aged to older guy with a flannel shirt, he essentially explodes at the end of issue 48. And there's a whole section with Carol subduing him, and eventually uh, she uh, gets the clue to head on out to Seattle where she catches up to Mystique. However, Mystique and her fight and the police are coming and, of course, still looking for her because she's still wanted by Norman Osborn. And so Mystique is able to get away by uh, declaring that Carol grabbed uh, her gun and changing into a police officer before the police catch on as to what's going on. And so that leads us to the final issue. With a cover for issue 50, which is an homage to the death of Captain Marvel. It's a pretty well done homage with Miss Marvel where Cap uh, was in that particular drawing from the uh, 1970s. And in the book, we learn that uh, what happened with this uh, Captain Marvel that's supposedly going around killing uh, people goes back to the scroll invasion. The scrolls made their own duplicate of Captain Marvel as part of the secret invasion, but it took them a lot of attempts. And Mystique saved the second to last attempt, the nearly perfect attempt that the scrolls just didn't think was good enough, and used him to go after the Church of Hala in order to get uh, Carol angry and involved. And Carol is able to destroy the fake uh, Captain Marvel, but falls from the sky apparently unconscious, and was apparently not captured either. And she's back in New York and talking to Spider-Man and gives the details of what happened to everyone else in the story. Not necessarily the most riveting way to wrap up your comic. And she reaches the conclusion that she's no longer aiming to be the best of the best. That that's not really uh, achievable because you're measuring yourself against others. And that rather she needs to be the best she can be. It's a big character moment that was totally unearned and which the book didn't really lay the foundation for. It's as if when he wrote issue one with her stating that goal to be best of the best, that Brian Reed had in mind that she would reach this point and that his plans for the character were cut short and he had to wrap it up, but he still wanted to have that point even though he hadn't really laid the groundwork for it. Overall, I'm going to give Miss Marvel Volume 9 Best You Can Be a rating of not classy. There wasn't really anything uh, offensive in this volume. There wasn't anything in this book that I read that I found myself saying, I absolutely hate that, you know, like in Volume 3 Operation Lightning Storm. But there's also just not a lot to recommend this book. After the events of Dark Reign, which I thought were pretty well written, and uh, War of the Marvels, it feels like the series just peters out. The fight with Mystique wasn't bad, but it was more meh. My final overall thoughts on Miss Marvel as a series, it was more good than bad. There were a lot of enjoyable stories in here. 
some great action, some pretty good concepts, and you got to see Miss Marvel as a fighter, as a warrior, and as someone aiming to achieve her best. On the other hand, a lot of the story was unfocused. There were so many plot lines that were dropped off. Operation Lightning Storm, Anya, the public relations lady. They were interesting ideas that weren't really followed through on. The series was hampered by the constant intermission of events. And until you get to uh, uh, the secret invasion and dark rain, those events don't necessarily work well in tandem with Miss Marvel. I also think that the cover decisions were dubious and they went against the uh, purpose that Marvel was going for. Because essentially the reason Carol Danvers has become a major character is because Marvel set it up that way. They wanted her to be seen as this major serious force to be reckoned with. Yet the cover arts were too often uh, just cheesecake and exploitative in ways that seem to be trying to make her into a pinup rather than a heroine. This has not been a bad run of comics, but I don't think it really uh, sets up the Deconic run. I can't say that she's done anything to earn the title of Captain Marvel, as was implied in Volume 1 of uh, Deconic's run. And in many ways, she still remains a bit of a cipher, although I give Brian Reed a credit that he did give us some insights into her past and into some of the events that made her. So overall, while the book's not bad, it's not epic, and I can't say that it's an essential read. It's the first time that I've buckled down and read through an entire run of Marvel comics from this particular era, and I don't think I will do that again, because there was just so much uh, stuff that I didn't like. But again, a bit more good than bad, so it wasn't a bad series, but unless you're a a big-time fan of uh, Carol Danvers, there are a lot better series out there to read. So to summarize for the... uh, Books that we've reviewed on this particular podcast, we gave Defenders Volume 1, Marvel Masterworks, a rating of Classia, really strong beginning, a lot of fun characters, uh, even though the villains aren't anything to write home about. And we gave Miss Marvel Volume 9, Best You Can Be, a rating of Not Classy, didn't like Peter Parker in it, thought the... uh, storyline with Mystique was kind of meh. Some nice art, though some unnecessary changes in artists uh, on issue 47, and just kind of an abrupt end to the series. All right, well, that's all for now. If you do have a comment, email it to me, classiccomicsguy at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at classiccomicsguy. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.